from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome to Work and Life. So glad you're here. It's the conversation in which we explore everything related to work and the rest of your life. Your family, your community or society, and your private self, your mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm the founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and of the Wharton Leadership Program, both of which I started 30 years ago. What? Did I say that correctly? Yes, it's true. 1991 is 30 years ago. That's when both those projects began. I now run a management consulting and training company. It's called Total Leadership. You can visit totalleadership.org for more information or information on how we help people and organizations find harmony among the different parts of life while improving performance in all of them. It can be done. It has been done. We've shown it in our research, teaching, and practice. And I've just released an audio course based on Total Leadership. It's called Four Way Wins. It's on Himalaya Learning, which is an audio learning platform. They've got an extensive extensive library of courses. You can listen to it at Himalaya.com. If you enter the promo code WINS, At checkout, you get the first 14 days free. Hope to see you there. New episodes of our show premiere Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM Channel 132. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at SXM Business, as well as me. I'm at Stu Friedman. Well, I'm excited about today's show. Uh, We're going to be talking about something that is current for all of us in this age of remote work, nonstop Zoom calls. It's no wonder that our meaningful, real connections to people are being strained and tested uh, in ways that we just never were taught growing up. Today's guest says that managers and team leaders need to think about how to provide employees with the tools they need to stay happy, stay focused, healthy in all different parts of their lives, which will increase their productivity, their job satisfaction, a subject that has been near and dear to my work into our uh, our our uh, our radio show in the nine years that we've been talking about it. So it's great to have current knowledge from Jen Fisher, who is Deloitte's chief well-being officer in the United States and co-author of a very helpful new book. It's called Work Better Together: How to Cultivate Strong Relationships to Maximize Well-Being and Boost Bottom Lines. Jen, welcome to Work and Life. Thanks for having me, Stu. It's great to be here. Let me just give a, a brief bit of background uh, uh, so that listeners know who I'm talking to today is Deloitte's chief well-being officer in the United States. Jen drives the company's strategy and innovation on work life, health and wellness. She empowers Deloitte's people to prioritize their well-being so they can be at their best in both their professional and personal lives. This is the goal, folks. Uh, and she's doing great work at Deloitte. On this, she frequently speaks and writes about well-being at work and hosts Work Well, a podcast series on the latest work-life trends. Well, all right. I'm so glad you're here, Jen, and and congratulations on this wonderful new book. Um, Tell us how you got to this. You you started out, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in the marketing world. How did you end up uh, in the well-being field and as the chief well-being officer of a major uh, professional services firm? Yeah, it's it's a it's a great question, and I think uh, you know, like many of us, a kind of a, a winding career that perhaps we ended up somewhere where, where we didn't plan. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, for me, um, you know, health and well being has always been a personal passion. Um, I was an athlete my all, all my life. I played soccer at the University of Miami. Um, but when I, you know, went, were to you, school, uh, were you a, a midfielder, a forward, or I, did you play I in was, the back? I was a midfielder because <laughs> I like to run. <laughs> you're running constantly in the midfield, yes. but you're also deep in the in the throes of a fluid strategy all the time, right? All, all the time, yeah. So, or or you could just go for the shins, but I, I don't I don't recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, so for me, it, it it's always kind of been a personal passion, but when I you know, went to college to study as, as we do. Um, my father was an accountant and uh, my mother was a school teacher. And I, 
Um, I didn't know what I really wanted to do because I, I don't know many people who know exactly what they want to do when they go to college. Maybe there's some, but I wasn't one of them. Mm -hmm. So I went into accounting um, and I hated it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I got through enough of accounting to get a minor in accounting. I got through intermediate accounting too, which they call the weed out class and it weeded me right out. <laughs> and okay. so I shifted into business management and marketing, but I was so passionate about health and well-being that I also picked up a minor in exercise physiology. And so I kind uh -huh. of you know, left college really wanting to be in the world of exercise and health and fitness, but I went into the world of business management and marketing. Um, I've been at Deloitte for 20 years and how my role here came about because I did start out in marketing at Deloitte and then I went on to be the chief of staff to one of our former CEOs and I came out of that role and went back into the marketing organization. But the truth is, is at the time, I was completely burnt out um, to the point where, you know, I woke up one day and I literally, you know, couldn't get out of bed. I physically and mentally was, you know, was struggling with my physical health. I was struggling with my mental health, being diagnosed with depression and anxiety. Um, and at a time when burnout wasn't something that was talked about in the workplace, you know, we're talking about it all the time now, but it wasn't something that we talked about then. Mm -hmm. And so I had to take time off. I had to take a leave of absence and get myself healthy and well. And in doing that, I became very passionate about wanting to help others so design. Work let me jump in here and ask, yeah. you know, um, this is a topic that is, you're right. It has been suppressed, particularly on mental health. Yeah. Um, since I first published Total Leadership, my first of uh, the set of Harvard Business Press books in 2008, I've been donating the proceeds of all my books to NAMI, which is the National yeah. Alliance for Mental Illness, because it's a topic that has been really important in my life and my family's life, especially because one of our children suffers from a, a major mental illness. But you're right. When I first started writing about this in Harvard Business Review and in the mid 2000s or 2007 or eight, it was like, oh, wow. Yeah, it's so great that you're talking about this. Uh, we need more conversation about this. And uh, it, it has been stigmatized, but no longer. Uh, thanks to people like you and others who are making this today as we record in 2021 it's just so much more normal uh to be talking about you know so you're you're saying that you know part of the struggle for you was physical but also psychological right it's like it's not a big deal there's been many people on the show have said things like that and nobody blinks an eye but you know 15 years ago it was oh wait what did she say uh so i just want to you know, take a moment to acknowledge that we have been making progress, yeah. but it is slow going. Uh, so when you first became aware of these issues in your life, what happened? What changed? Yeah. So, I mean, I decided, well, I, I had to, I had to do the work, right. I had to go mm. to therapy. I had to do the things that I needed to get well. And that for me included, um, you know, redefining the role that work played in my life. <laughs> um, and so if I reflect back on how I was living my life or living at work, if you will, um, you mm -hmm. know, I was, I prided myself on getting to the gym for an hour a day. I got three to four hours of sleep per night and I was working or doing whatever else it was I was doing in my life for the other 19 or 20 hours a day. And that's not sustainable. And I was young at the time. It's not sustainable for young people. It's not sustainable for old people either. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and so I had to redefine what's the role that work is going to play in my life and what are the boundaries that I want to set and what does that look like for me? And so that took a lot of coaching and a lot of therapy and a, and, a, and a lot of and a lot of hard work, quite frankly, because, you know, like you just said, this wasn't something that was very commonly spoken about in the workplace at the time. And I think for me, um, too, you know, what I realized perhaps maybe several years later was one of the major factors of my burnout was not just how I had, how I was living my life, but also how I had defined success or had not defined success for myself. And so you know, my definition of success was looking around in an organization of really high performing people and saying that person's successful. So I'm going to do that. That person's successful. So I'm going to mm -hmm. do that. And and it was never enough because it was never my personal definition of success or what I 
found to be valuable, but what I perceived as being being successful. And so you're constantly striving and you can't constantly be striving. It's just not <laughs> it's just not a sustainable model for people. And so I went back to work. Um, I went back to my leader who continues to be an incredible friend and mentor. And I was actually going to resign from the organization because I wanted to focus on helping people. Um, and they're not that Deloitte did not care about their people or didn't have great programs and benefits to support their physical and mental health. They just didn't have somebody in a role like mine. And when I say that, I will say that the majority of the time, you know, especially in the early years in my role, because I've been in the role about six and a half, seven years, it was really focused on culture. It was a lot less about programs and tools and resources because we had a lot of those great things in place and maybe yeah. it was enhancing and evolving some of those but it was really about looking at how work had changed and the way way we were working had changed and the expectations of the workforce right and now i think if you fast forward you know seven years and a great resignation <laughs> and a global pandemic <laughs> you know you're seeing you're seeing so much more of that right that people are yeah. rethinking the role that work plays in their life um and so mm -hmm. you know that's a kind of a little bit of my a little bit of my backstory um and so i put together a business case for our leadership team and Stu, that's when you and i connected some seven or seven or so years ago yes. and um, asked them to give me the opportunity to, you know, to bring this to life inside of Deloitte. And um, I wasn't sure how long or if it would last, but I'm here to say that um, not only has it lasted, but it just continues to become more and more a part of the strategic imperative of our, of our organization. Yeah. And that's, that's mainly what I want to focus our conversation on and what, what you're doing and what you're discovering with uh Right. I guess it was about seven years ago. I served as a member of the external advisory council on work life and inclusion. And I was, you know, the work life person, uh, from the, from the sort of, uh, university's perspective, there was, I, we had some other folks there who were in the world of practice and government. And that was a remarkable series of conversations we had, most of them occurring at the amazing uh, Deloitte University campus in Texas. That place is incredible. It is. We um, just celebrated our 10 year anniversary. It's, of Deloitte It's University. still state of the art, right? I mean, absolutely. It's, <laughs> even though it's already 10 years old, I can't believe that. So yeah, we, we were a part of some really important conversations there. It seemed at the time. Uh, I mean, just, just the fact that we were convening and had, uh, you know, just the, the time and, and, and attention of so many people within the organization to talk about, well, what are the problems here that we are seeing and what can we do about it? So, uh, so one of the good things that came out of that, because sometimes I, you know, I would sit in those meetings and think like, uh, what's going to happen? Is anything going to be different? <laughs> it's a lot of talk here. Um, <clears throat> what are we going to do? So it's, it's really good to know that you have been flourishing in this role, um, you know, since that time. And, I'm I'm glad that to have to have been a part of it. Uh, so what? Whew, there's so much I want to get into, you know. And, and we talk a lot on this show, you know, with all kinds of guests about many many different aspects of work and life. But you're, um, you know, part of the emphasis that I want to get into with you is uh, is about technology, which you know is is of course you know wired into all of our lives. So let me just note. This is Working Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm speaking with Jen Fisher, who's the co-author of Working Better Together, Work Better Together. Um, let, let's focus, if we can, on what you have to say about the role of technology in our lives. Both, like, I mean, you probably don't have to say much about what the problems are because we all know it. What, I, what I'm most curious about, and I think what listeners are going to be most interested in, is what are you bringing to the table in terms of uh, solutions? Yeah, absolutely. So, so you're, you're right. I mean, we, we have all, I think we're all well aware of, you know, the, you know, the issues or the downside of our constantly connected world. Um, and, mm -hmm. and we talk a lot about this and work better together. And as a matter of fact, my co-author for work better together on Phillips is a, is a technology researcher. So in no way are, are, are on and I Luddites, we don't hate technology. Actually, it, it is the exact opposite. But what we advocate for and um, give guidance on and what we hope for the future of work is that we 
learn to use technology in a way that truly enhances our 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 humanity and our human skills and what makes us truly human and so and we, our connections and, and our connections. And how we yeah. how we really create meaning and value in our relationships and in our work and that's really your primary focus right absolutely and so you know it was a really interesting time to write a book about <laughs> you know we're we're a big you know we're a couple of chapters actually detail the negative side effects that you know that technology being so ubiquitous in our work and our lives has had on our ability to develop these meaningful relationships and writing it during the middle of a global pandemic which was at a time when what what we had at our disposable our disposal was our technology to keep us connected right and so there was kind of ironic yeah there was this real kind of yin and yang dynamic going on which was great you know i mean the timing probably couldn't have been better because it it did shape some of our thinking perhaps in a in a different light than we would have we would have previously thought i mean it was an issue prior to the pandemic i think all of us have, you know, experienced burnout of, you know, digital overwhelm and, and Zoom fatigue and kind of those feelings that we're feeling. But, you know, the, the truth is, is that I think the fourth industrial revolution has, um, you know, done a, a disservice to humans and our humanity in, in such that it has kind of convinced us that we need to compete with our technology. And so- What, know, what do you mean by compete with our technology? So I mean, technology can work, quote unquote, 24 hours a day. Humans cannot and ah. should not <laughs> work 24 hours a day. But we, you know, we're living in this world where there's a lot of fear around technology and technology taking our jobs. And and we are trying to flip the the narrative around that to say, hey, we should be celebrating the fact that technology is going to take some of the jobs. Yes, that's a reality, but it's also going to create jobs or it's going to enhance or elevate or celebrate the jobs that are truly uniquely human jobs or truly uniquely what humans bring to the workplace, which is compassion and empathy and connection and complex problem solving and all of those things that in many ways have been don't they, but don't we have apps that can provide compassion and empathy we do not <laughs> are you sure it's fake it's not real <laughs> there's, I, there's a lot of them i i people trying to sell them to us and get on the get on our radio show to talk about them are you sure those don't I, exist i, I yes i'm sure look the the thing about the wellness and well-being world is there's an app for everything and somebody will try to sell you anything right and and, and again there are tons of solutions and if there is a solution that works for you i'm not going to knock it but i will say that there is nothing that i have come across and maybe i just haven't come across it that i believe truly replaces true human connection can technology enhance and augment true human connection and true humanity yes it can and that's why what we should be using technology for it cannot replace it so in in work better together what's the essential idea that you're bringing in and perhaps drilling down a level uh you know what are the the uh the principles and tools that you're bringing uh that that readers will want to know more about in terms of how to uh leverage technology in a way that enhances our humanity and, and human connections yeah so what we get into is a way to um you know diagnose or kind of demystify either your workplace or your team culture Um, and we talk in detail about four different types of team or workplace cultures and you know the positives and negatives of those and the impact that technology has had on those or creating those. And I think, you know, to, to take a step back, um, you know, we reflect on many studies, but most probably most prevalent is the Harvard study of human longevity, which has been going on for, for 83 years. Um, and mm-hmm. every, you know, time and time again, what has come out of that study is the number one predictor of our long-term health and happiness is the strength of our personal relationships. And so- It's how much you, money you make, I thought. <laughs> it's not how much money you make. <laughs> It's not, it's not, it's not fame. It's not fortune. It's not what you eat. It's not how you, all of those things can be important. They're on yes. the list, but they aren't number one. Yes, um, but no, in, I'm, I'm you, very familiar with the, that, that, that line yes. of research and that amazing panel study. And, and it is so powerful to see, 
you know, through the this long term study of of the lives of men originally and then women, yeah. uh, how how huge a an impact our our relationships have on our feeling of having lived a worthwhile life. Yeah, and I and I think it's interesting to think that you know when we talk about technology and back to your point around compassion and empathy and apps is. You know, a lot of people, we, we live in a time that we are more connected in any other time in, in human history, yet more people are lonely. And so right there, it tells you that our use of technology cannot replace true human connection, because if we are more connected than ever before in human history through our technology, then why are so many people lonely? Because <laughs> it's not it's not true. It's not true connection. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I think it's important to distinguish, as, and I think you do, is, you know, between synchronous and asynchronous connections. Absolutely. So, like when we're talking now in real time and uh, listeners don't know this, but um, Jen and I can see each other because we're doing this interview on Zoom. Uh, you know, I I have a, a window into, you, you know, who you are and you, and you into me Absolutely. You know, through, through seeing our, our the facial cues and and. Uh, you know, the context in which we are speaking, which is very different than, you know, other forms of technologically mediated communication, uh, like social media platforms, which are, you know, entirely different. And a lot of the research on how we become lonelier and more depressed with, you know, the more time you're on Facebook is, you know, is based on those platforms. And there's no doubt, right? I mean, look, there's dating apps that work, right? I mean, there are people in our lives that have met on dating apps and they are now happily married with children. And, you know, so, so tech, that's what I mean. That's what we mean when we say technology can be used to enhance or augment, um, you know, augment social or human connection, but Mm -hmm. not fully replace it, right? You're not going to have a relationship with somebody in a, I mean, you could, I guess, (laughs) it's not going to be fulfilling if you never see that human being in, in, in your life. And we're talking about the strength of kind of our close personal relationships. And so if you, if you translate that to the working world and, The Mm -hmm. fact that most working adults spend the majority of their day, at least Monday through Friday, if that's the schedule that they work, at work. Their waking hours are spent at work. And so if you don't have strong social connections in the workplace, there's not only a detriment to the individual and your individual health and happiness, but there's a detriment to the organization and how productive the person mm-hmm. is and the quality of their work and the loyalty of their, you know, how sure. long they stay at an organization. And if you think about a time where companies and organizations are really struggling to hire and and keep, um, you know, the, the best workforce, you know, organizations that really promote opportunities for people to connect on a true human level and create a social connection in the workplace um, it, it is it is a true enhancer when it comes to time. and it is possible to do it. Uh, you just got to be intentional and okay. and be, be prepared to deal with all the kinds of resistance that comes with any kind of change. So I, I'd like to spend the rest of our time, if we can, focused on the advice that you offer, maybe starting at the individual level, because I know that you address you know multiple levels of, of analysis and impact, individual team culture. And then more broadly in in, in our society, uh, so give us a preview. We're gonna have to go for uh, for break in about a minute. But what what are the if you can just you know the the main things that you want to make sure people know about in terms of the advice or guidance you provide at the individual level? Yeah, at the individual and the way that we look at it is you know on a two by two right, and so how much a, a team, an organization, and an individual. Um, mm-hmm. value relationships and how much they value well-being being their own personal well-being or that of the of the team and okay. so you know depending on kind of where you fall <laughs> or, or where your organization falls or your team falls that kind of gives you ideas about what type of culture you're in but when it comes to your own individual well-being right look we are we are all responsible um, for our own well-being, you know, an organization and a team can only do so much. They can provide the culture. They can create the culture. They can empower you with the right tools and resources. Mm-hmm. I can't force you to take care of yourself. <laughs> you have to do mm-hmm. that, right? And you have to set boundaries in your life as to 
you know, what your work and your life are going to look like and the role that work is going to play in your life and how you're going to care for yourself and your and your loved ones. And so looking at, you know, what what those things, you know, what those things look like, right, you know, in terms of, of, of what what matters to you. And, you know, as you know, Stu, there are thousands of different definitions of well-being. The way we look at it at Deloitte and the way we talk about it in the book is is body, mind, purpose, right? And so holistic and, and financial health. And so holistic health and well-being. So what am I doing to make sure that I'm caring for my body when it comes to, you know, sleep, exercise, rest, recovery, my mind, my mental and emotional health. Mental health is incredibly important and has really come onto the scene kind of with a vengeance um, in all the right ways in the workplace over the last couple of years, but certainly during the pandemic. Purpose, you know, purpose and meaning in our work and being able to translate what matters to me and what I value in life and, and seeing the downstream impacts in the work that I do or understanding the downstream impacts of the work that I do and the meaning that it brings. Um, and then, of course, financial health, right? Making sure that I understand, you know, how to plan for the moments in my life that matter um, when it comes to my finances, whether that's- Let, let me jump in here. We, we're going to have to go for a break here. Um, we're going to be right back. Stay with us. Uh, when we come back, I'll continue my conversation with Jen Fisher about her book, Work Better Together. I'm Stu Friedman. This is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. You stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome back to Work and Life. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm the founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project, the Wharton Leadership Program, way back in 1991. And I'm the founder of Total Leadership which is a management consulting and training company dedicated to helping individuals and organizations find how to create harmony and better performance in all the different parts of life. My guest today is Jen Fisher, who's really in the same business, and it's great to be talking with her. She is the chief well-being officer at Deloitte in the United States, and she's the co-author of the new book, Work Better Together, How to Cultivate Strong Relationships to Maximize Well-Being and Boost Bottom Lines. See, folks, it can be done. There's a bunch of us out there now trying to help you to do that. And Jen's got some important um, ideas and tools to offer in this arena. So let's get into it. Uh, before the break, Jen, you were talking about you know, one of the more interesting aspects of work in this, uh, you know, of intervening to help people find a greater sense of clarity, of purpose and focus on defining what success means for them and and to to look at the different aspects of their lives to determine what it what they really care about and one of the things that i find is that um you know it it takes no no small measure of courage to to make those choices because of you know the socialization pressures you know what we've been taught to value and you know you started to speak about this earlier uh you were supposed to be an accountant jen <laughs> you messed up I messed up, but I ended up working with a bunch of them. Doesn't that count? <laughs> well, especially because what you're, you know, what you're really passionate about is, is, is enhancing those, uh, the experience of quality in human relationships. So absolutely. Now, uh, but you know, you're, you determined that and you had to go through some changes to get there as we all do. So I'm curious to know how you uh, think about, the challenge of helping people to find the courage and to, to you know, to create the kind of learning environment uh, in which people can be open, most importantly with themselves about what it is that they care about. And, and then, then we'll, we'll use that as a, as a springboard to get into how to help people in teams and what managers can do to help them to, to really move, to become better aligned in terms of what they do with what they care most about? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, for, for individuals, right. For me, it, it starts, everything starts with taking care of yourself um, and, and, and knowing what that looks like for you. And, and to your points do, I mean, sometimes that does feel like being, courageous unfortunately i wish it didn't 
<laughs> right. And I think that that's kind of what I what you and I are working towards. It, it shouldn't feel like a courageous thing to do to or, or I shouldn't feel like I need permission in life or from work to take to take care of myself. Right. Because I think if you're not taking care of yourself and that's a lived experience that I that I have, you know, you're not actually showing up in life for the things that matter sure. to you, the things and, are the people that matter to you. Including we all know that, program. right? We I mean it's, it's 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 something that's obvious to anyone who steps back to think about it for even 12 seconds. And yet, and yet, and yet it's it's a really difficult thing to act on. So how do you help people to overcome the resistance that is born of you know feelings of guilt or anxiety about trying something different? How do you help move them into uh you know greater both awareness and then you know I'll, I'll say courage to 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 take action uh to better align what they care about with what they do? Yeah, so I mean for me in my role, I, you know, it is about individuals, but it's also about creating, helping the organization mm -hmm. create the culture that empowers people to do that. Because what we mm -hmm. have heard or heard when we set out on this journey is that people really, you know, to your point, they know that. And in large part, people know what to do to take care of themselves, right? There's nothing yes. that I'm going to tell you <laughs> about taking care of yourselves that you haven't heard. Six, I mean, I'm not going to blow your mind, right? Like that you haven't heard 6,000 times, right? From the self-care gurus, marketing gurus of the world, right? And so the, it's really boils down to culture and organizational culture and also team culture team dynamic is really really important but when we step back to look at this most organizations large organizations small organizations medium organizations especially those that have been around for a while mm -hmm. have norms right whether they are mm -hmm. spoken or unspoken norms and typically it's the unspoken norms that are kind of the most insidious, if you will, but the ways of working or my perception of the ways of working that are keeping me from taking care of myself in an open and authentic way, right? So I might actually be taking care of myself, but I'm not being open and authentic with my colleagues about how I'm doing it because I don't feel like the organization or the organizational culture would support that or I would be viewed as being less loyal or, you know, less productive or less committed to my work. And so right. we've created so there's, there's stigma associated there's stigma. with and what we of... reward in the workplace is wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. We don't reward behaviors that support, you know, that 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 inspire us or empower us to take care of ourselves and support our colleagues. We re we actually reward metrics and things that create a lot of competition in the workplace and not a lot of collaboration. And we know all the research is saying, you know, I mean, we talk about a more kind of human focused future of work where we're, where, you know, few humans need to differentiate themselves from machines, you know, collaboration, right. And collaboration skills. And that's where connection and human connection comes in. If you can't connect with other humans, how do you expect to collaborate with other humans to get work done? Right. And so, um, you know, so we talk a lot about the team dynamic, you know, hopefully you look at organizational norms, right. And, and, and leadership behavior and programs and policies that may have been in place for a long time that no longer serve the way that we're working. But it is possible to have a high performing, what we call a trusted team, a high performing team that values both personal relationships and well-being um, within an organization that doesn't quite have it figured out. Because people always want to know, well, what can I do? Like what's in, if I'm not an organizational leader, if I'm not in the C-suite, what can I actually do about this? Well, you can actually do a lot because most of us yeah. have a lot of influence, whether we believe it or not, over the teams and the people that we work with. Well, and, and we know out. from the research that the real action is is always at the uh, supervisor, supervisee yep. level. It, it, and that's because that's the the everyday, that's what's yes. right in your face relationship. And, and, and that's the relationship that has, or the relationships that have the biggest impact on your well-being, either positively or negatively. Yeah, and the yeah. larger organizational culture and, and policy and practice is, almost irrelevant uh, compared to the impact of the more intimate relationships you have with the people with, with whom you're interacting every day. So what, what are, what are your favorite, uh, you know, pieces of, uh, you know, 
practical wisdom that that you've discovered in, in your years in this field now that you that you bring to readers and in, in in work better that that a team manager or member should know about that you can tell us now yeah so i mean a lot of it boils down to communication and does mm-hmm. it sometimes require courage to have that conversation or to bring up the, this topic with with your team leader Yes, possibly, but things like as simple as and and again, this doesn't go back. This does not require spending a lot of money. It it requires intentionality and it requires, in some respects, time. But things like looking at team behaviors and norms, clear. You know, Brené Brown says clear is kind. What are the expectations of me and the people that I work with? What are our standard working hours? Right? Do we want it to be eight thirty to five thirty, nine to six? How do we get in touch with each other outside of standard working hours? Because it's outside. If we if we rely on email, then everybody's constantly connected to email or feels like they need to be constantly connected to email. Um, how do we want to handle learning and development? Do we want to do it collectively? Do we want to do it individually? Do we set aside an hour every Friday or every Tuesday where everybody is given permission to either collectively or individually spend an hour or two hours of time on learning and development? How do we want to you know, handle lunch? You know, do we want to step away from our from our computer and give people permission to do that? You know, it, it is interesting and a lot of the things that we've learned over the last 18 months and and for those of us that have been working remotely is that it's not necessarily for some people, I think the hours are different, the number of hours that they're working are different, but in large part, the number of hours that we're working aren't different. Um, in terms of of the the number of hours, what's different is how we're spending the time, <laughs> right? And so when we are co-located together in an office or some other location, getting up and walking to outside to get lunch or go have lunch is just something that you do. When we've been working from home for the past 18 months, most of us go to the kitchen, get whatever's available and quick and bring it back to our laptops and shovel it in our mouth as quick as possible until you know before we have to get on our next video call, right? And so we're not seeing so use a shovel. <laughs> A big spoon. <laughs> okay. Well, so that what has been the cost of uh, that? We, we've had so many people on the show these last 18 months talking about this. What are what are you seeing? Uh, and in particular, what advice do you give for people about how to manage the, the you know, the new the new boundaries uh, in, in terms of living at work, uh, working from home? Well, and that's what I mean by these team behaviors and norms, like having these conversations. When are we going to you know, when uh-huh. can I expect to see you online and get a response within a reasonable amount of time? Mm-hmm. And if you and if it's outside of those hours, how do we want to handle going out to lunch how do we want to handle you know everybody's talking about it right like the mm-hmm. the commute time has been erased okay well why are you still rolling out if it's been erased you're still rolling out of bed and onto your laptop right like why aren't we giving ourselves as i'm a not team but okay mission? yes many people are <laughs> many people are right so communicating right. that having team norms that we all agree to and we all subscribe subscribe to and re and checking in on those on a regular basis like how is this team norm going is it working for us do we need to adjust it or do we need to do that's really so important to be able to be continually experimenting you know when i first wrote uh total leadership when we first came up with this model 20 years ago when i was head of leadership development at ford motor company one of the breakthrough uh, concepts was this notion of continual experimentation, which we had found from our research throughout the 90s on, you know, what is it that people do well who are able to find harmony among the different parts of their lives and perform well in them? And one of the big ones was constant experimentation and the benefit of experimenting and using that language of experimentation we found was that it reduces resistance because people say, to themselves, all right, this isn't forever. This isn't like for the rest of my life. I can never, you know, do anything other than, you know, work from home on Friday afternoons, but let's just see how this is working for the next couple of weeks. And then talk for a minute about what's working, what's not, and then adjust and adjust and adjust because it's a constant adaptation and adjustment that we have to make. And so it's, it's, you know, it's, that's really an essential aspect of how it's just, it's not just about communication about what we need, what our mutual needs and expectations are, but how those continue to need to be adjusted. Let me remind listeners, this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, 
Stu Friedman. I'm speaking with Jen Fisher, who's the author of Work Better Together, just out, really useful uh, set of ideas and tools for how to do just that. Um, So, yes, trying new things as a team. So what have you found uh, is, you know, the the biggest challenge that teams face in, in taking up this form of communication and experimentation? I mean, I think that the biggest challenge is 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 a time famine, right? I mean, you do have to be intentional about having these conversations and staying on top of it and continuing to have it, have the check-ins. And in a world that, you know, we are all back to back to back to back, you know, finding more time to have these conversations, um, I think continues to be a challenge. However, we have found with the teams that do it and do it well, (laughs) they are consistently, you know, high performing teams that with people that feel better and are more engaged and are doing better work. And so, you know, the, the argument to that is, you know, we, you know, you know, look at what you're doing on your calendar that you shouldn't be doing and kind of be more intentional about about checking in on on these things and making sure that they happen because they create the that it's a step to creating the right team culture. Otherwise, you know, the risk of the team culture becoming toxic um, is actually pretty high because nobody is voicing their, you know, what their needs are. So there are people listening right now who are thinking, okay, what do I do? Because I definitely have this problem on my team um, and or it's a new team there or there are people on my team who I've never actually met. Um, and that's just the way it's going to be. Where should I start? What can I do? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a couple of things you can, you can, if you are a, you know, if you're a team leader, you can design a conversation with your team, you know, get set up a, a, a call and say, Hey, this is an idea that I have. This is something, you know, this is important to me. I think it's important to our team. Here's some ideas around, you know, what I think we can try. Um, but I'd love your input. I think, you know, going back to what you said, the, the importance of doing this as a team and broader as an organization and, and empl- the importance of employee sentiment, engaging your team or your workforce in these types of decisions is really powerful because they have skin in the game. They feel like they have a voice and they're going yeah. to try they're they're going to engage in the process whether it ultimately becomes they're going something- to engage especially because they see that there's benefit for them and their families their mental health their communities the people Absolutely. who they care about not just at work but beyond work right beyond beyond work and and you know if it to your point if it doesn't work then you know we'll pick something else and try again and so i think you can bring you can do that at a macro level you can do that at a micro level as a team leader as a colleague you can get together with a few of your colleagues that you do know and say, hey, let's put together some ideas and bring this to the team leader or bring this to the rest of the team. I think what people struggle with, especially as a team leader and everybody, you know, yeah. is kind of living in a in a in a in an era of of overwhelm is when you bring problems to the team leader without solutions, right? And so bring it as an idea that you want to help lead on your team and take the initiative to help lead it, Um, as opposed to just going to the leader and saying, hey, you know, our team culture sucks. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, well, that's the standard work-life balance mentality where it's, you know, I I need, you have to provide rather than I'm a leader here how can I create a better sense of harmony among the different parts of life for me and for you in a way that works for all of us and that actually improves our performance and well-being? Uh, so it's yes, the mutuality of interest, which is another reason why you know the language we chose for total leadership is, has been so resilient and robust over time because we frame it as a leadership challenge, which right. means it's got to be good for us. And, and, you know, when it's just leaders are people too. (laughs) Well, and, and we, and we can all win here if you just think about it in those terms. And yet the, the traditional mindset is one of, uh, you know, conflict and, you know, I, I need you better give. Um, So do you have any advice in terms of how to break through that mentality? 
Yeah, well, so I, you know, I mean, again, I think it is bringing ideas forward, you know, Mm -hmm. and so not just bringing a problem forward, but it's okay to identify a problem. Absolutely, especially if it's impacting Mm -hmm. you and your other colleagues, any good leader is going to want to know about that, right? But bringing what you think the solution, you know, a handful of solutions are, Mm -hmm. and making the suggestion of like, hey, let's get the team or a couple of people on the team and form kind of a mini, you know, a mini task force to to help us figure this out so that the, you know, it's not the burden isn't just on the team leader. Look, as a as a person that is working for a leader, you don't want the burden to be just on the team leader anyway, because what if they make decisions that you don't actually agree with? I mean, sometimes that's going to happen. That's life. That's work. Right. But if you can engage in what the solutions are um, that are going to be rolled out that impact you, isn't that a much better place to be? <laughs> well, and you're much more likely to feel a sense of commitment and ownership to that solution and, and to its continual improvement over time. You know, another aspect of, of team level commitment to, uh, to, to new ways of operating that are adaptive and continually adapting is that, you know, everyone's got a different set of needs and interests, right? Um, and and so what have you found about how a team-based approach to new norms, new operating methods, new expectations, how does that deal with individual differences in terms of, uh, you know, time, place, method of, of working, of interacting? Yeah, so, and, and that's a great question. I think it's a really good point. And so I think if you if you start to have conversations about what, kind of the foundational set of team norms and behaviors are going to look like, you will find that you'll probably congregate around a handful of things that matter to most people. Um, Will there be some outliers? Yeah, probably. Um, Mm -hmm. But it gives you, I mean, you, you you can actually deal with those in a much easier way. When everybody feel on a team feels like they're being heard, their needs matter and their needs are being cared for. It's not always going to be beautiful or pretty or work perfectly, mm-hmm. <laughs> but if it works more often than not, there's not a, there's not, you're not creating a, you know, Stu's getting special treatment that I'm not getting, right? If I feel like my needs are cared for and my voice is going, is my voice is heard, if Stu does need some sort of special treatment because he has a different home situation or a different need, it's actually not going to matter to me that much. As a matter of fact, I'm probably going to be much more open to supporting Stu because my needs are also being met. Right. And so you're not creating kind of a, oh, Stu's getting special treatment that I'm not getting or I need to pick up Stu's work because he can't work 830 to 530. He can work, you know, 1130 to 830. Right. And there's actually also some benefit in kind of staggering some of those things. Right. And and giving people different options and opportunities and seeing how those work. But I think the key there is, you know, doing this as a team and actually having these conversations as a team. It's important that everybody knows what Stu's needs are. Right. And as much as Stu is, I'm not asking anybody to disclose any private information. Or, yes, or I'm, glad, I'm glad we're yeah. getting to that because <laughs> Absolutely. privacy boundaries need to be drawn by the person. A- absolutely. Information so not, it is, you know, right? not disclosing anything at all that Stu is uncomfortable no, disclosing. There but... are definitely things that you've thought about that I don't want to know. And there are things that I've thought about that you don't want to know. <laughs> and that's true, of course, for everybody. Everybody. But, everybody. but that's really important to underscore when, when you get into any kind of public conversation about this, even with friends that you know being authentic doesn't mean revealing everything that's in your head (laughs) absolutely there are ways that you can have those conversations without disclosing you know details that don't that shouldn't be disclosed or don't need to Mm -hmm. don't need to be disclosed but but again when it comes back to these team behaviors and norms what we've seen and what we find is if everybody feels like their voice is heard they're being cared for and they are empowered to make certain decisions about how they design their day relative to work and other things that they have going on, then they're much more likely to support their teammates, right? And so because because it creates a much more collaborative, just, you know, a a much better environment for all to be in. And when we're all feeling better (laughs) and, and we're not cranky and we're not fatigued and we're not burnt out, we're much more, I mean, in general, people want to help each other. Um, and, and also what you do is, you know, if Stu has a need for a period of time, we all support him 
And then on the flip side, right? I mean, life is life. Things happen. And so then people are going to support me when I have a need or when I want to do yeah. something differently or I have a goal or I have something in my life that that I need, you know, a little bit of flexibility on. And that's, of course, something that's true for all of us. And we all have different needs. And I think the key for for managers especially is to keep in mind that you, you can't give uh, disproportionate value to a certain kind of need, right. even though, you, you know, the, it might be socially, you know, sanctioned to do so. Well, I have a child who's got a disability. Oh, well, that person needs to get all the special attention and treatment. Whereas someone else who just wants to go bowling, you know, that that's somehow less valued. You know, those are those are some tricky conversations, but it's an important part of the picture. It's a tricky conversation, but I think if you, you know, it that's why I said you don't even have to disclose oftentimes, right? It's just what I need, regardless of what the activity is that I'm doing. It's my need. <laughs> and we're going to have to wrap up here. Uh, I do want to comment that there are about 100, maybe 300 uh, CDs in the, uh, stacked up behind you. And I'm wondering, wow, do you actually listen to those? Or do people still use CDs? But, you know, that may be a conversation for another time, unless you want to tell me quickly what those CDs are doing there. I'll I'll tell you quickly. They're they're my husband's. There was a time in his life where he was a DJ, and um, I've done everything in my power to try and get rid of him. Not not get rid of him, get rid of them. Um, But he won't let me. (laughs) All right. Well, um, you know, this has been so much fun. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us today on this conversation how can listeners find out more about what you're doing about this book and what you're doing at deloitte and beyond yeah well they can order a copy of the book uh their favorite uh book reseller amazon work better together as you mentioned i have a podcast work well all one word on your favorite podcatcher you can find me on linkedin uh, jen fisher you can find me on instagram and twitter at jenfish 23 <laughs> Awesome. Thanks so much, Jen. It's it's been great to reconnect with you. um, And congratulations again on this important work. Thank you for joining us on the show. Don't forget to tune in next week at 5 p.m. Eastern. If you have a question about something you heard on the show, you can just email me. Real easy. Friedman.wharton.upenn.edu or our station, which is at Business Radio at SiriusXM.com. You can follow our show on Twitter at SXM Business. I am at Stu Friedman. Um, And you can find edited versions of selected shows as free podcasts at totalleadership.org, where you can also find all kinds of free resources, videos, book chapters, articles, and more research, lots of stuff there about how we help people to create harmony and better performance among the different parts of life. Thanks, Patty Hall, our producer and our sound engineer, Chris Tooks. I am Stu Friedman, and you've been listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132.